Double day to current day. This is uh, Vintage Baseball Rewind, where we bring you five things every baseball fan should know what happened on December 22nd. Um, on today's show, we got Connie Mack, who maybe wasn't such a gentleman. Uh, we have Lefty has a birthday, the Red Sox front office debacle in 79. Shane uh, Bloom, can you hear us? Um, and John Rucker offends uh, virtually everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Fenway Park. Mark Fidrich tonight. He's time to get the ball back. You'll see him mumble a couple of words to the ball. The first man ever to pitch five career no-hitters. Mitchell Ball, too. I don't believe what I just saw. There's another chance for Mitchell, and he makes a pair-handed catch. Ricky goes, a pitch stick, and he's going to have it. Leaps high of the air, and he's going. Oh, an incredible catch by the kid. And let it be said that number eight, Cal Ripken Jr., has reached the unreachable star. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we invite you to rise. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tom Hannon from uh, Tom's Vintage Baseball, where we bring you Voices of Baseball. I'm joined today by uh, Matt Musico from MLB Daily Dingers. How's it going today, Matt? I'm good, Tom. I'm trying to stay warm. Thinking about spring training keeps me a little bit warmer, but not too much these days. <laughs> yeah, we're just a few days away from um, from Christmas. And personally, I'm hoping for the Red Sox to make a big signing for a Christmas present, but I'm not super optimistic. <laughs> you got, I mean, you got a couple. You got a new closure. You got a new outfielder. But, I mean, you guys could use a little bit more. That's for sure. Because the trivia question, I'm starting to wonder when the next time the Red Sox are going to win a World Series. It might be a long time, even though I know they got four in in the last, uh, this century, but still. Yeah, I mean, Um, that'll that'll hold you over for a little bit, but only only for so long, too, so. Yeah, it's true. And 2004 was an amazing one, and the other three were kind of icing on the, uh, they weren't the same. Uh, 2004 will always be something different, but uh, yeah, for sure. You know, when you have something like that, it's 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 a great feeling. They've had a lot of success, but you're also concerned about where they are. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And the Mets are in the total opposite of the Red Sox, where they're just spending. Uh, what's their payroll now? Is it going to be close to four hundred million? Well, with with the luxury tax, yeah, it's going to be over. I think right. I think right now, what the last estimate I saw was around like three forty five, and then with like you know probably about an, an eighty million dollar luxury tax penalty probably pushes it to around like 420 or something like that. So clearly Steve Cohen tax means nothing to Steve Cohen, which all Mets fans are grateful for. I think that if John Henry was doing that, I would be super excited. Yeah, um, it's, hard, it's hard not to be excited about it. You know who else is excited about it? Scott Boris. He loves it. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he has an express train to Cohen right now. And he's just <laughs> like, hey, look who I got. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what next guy can get, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollars? Yeah, I mean, do you, do you feel like it was a coincidence that the Mets made a very, very late entry into the Carlos Correa sweepstakes right before he signed with the, with the Giants? It's like the, begu- the best bargaining chip you could have. Like, well, you know, the Mets are interested and then that'll motivate anyone to get a deal done if they really want that player. Yeah, and if, if there was a position outside of a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball that you'd want to play, it would be shortstop right now. Yeah. Yeah, eight, eight of the top 10 shortstops all have 10 plus years at 300 million. I, I've never seen a position dominate, uh, dominate an offseason like this, like that position has this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember a few years ago, like, wow, this, this shortstop class is really young, elite, a lot of really great players. 
they got paid like it. That's for sure. Yeah, they got paid. Uh, and, uh, and it, you know, it's a, it is one of the interesting things that they have done is they, they flattened it though. So the, all the, all the years did was they just lowered the average annual contract and gave them extra years instead of giving them 40 million a year, they gave them, you know, 30 or 32 or something along those lines. And then they gave them an extra couple of years at the end, assuming that the luxury tax is going to go, um, the, the cap will go up over time and money will, you know, cause money has been worth less every, every year. So you, know, you have to assume that's what they're thinking. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. On to the trivia. Um, what American league charter franchise was the first charter member to, uh, was the last charter member to win a pennant and then also the last charter member to win a World Series. Mm, all right. Well, let's get started. So born on December 22nd, 1862 in East Brookfield, Massachusetts, was player, manager, scout, general manager, and owner Cornelius McGillicuddy, or as we know him, Connie Mack. He did it all. For more than a century, he owned and managed the Philadelphia A's, which was nearly their entire existence. He built two dynasties that won a total of five World Series titles. Mack was often described as the grand old gentleman of the game, but he wasn't above stretching the rules to get a competitive advantage. He was rumored to have kept frozen baseballs handy to insert them into the game when his pitchers were on the mound. He also employed a special coach who stationed himself in center field at Tribe Park to steal signs from opposing teams. Connie Mack pieced together a tremendous baseball team in the first decade of the 20th century, built in large part around his famous 100,000-hour infield. At the, at the time, Mack claimed that even that lofty dollar amount would not pry the four-star players away from him. In 1911, John Stuffy McInnes was switched to first base to replace the aging Harry Davis, a fine player. But McInnes, who earned his nickname because he had the right stuff as a young ball player in Boston, joined Eddie Collins, Jack Berry, and Frank Baker to form the greatest infield of the era. His A's from 1929 to 1931 had a team second to none, which featured Jimmy Fox, Mickey Cochran, Al Simmons, Lefty Grove, George Earnshaw, Rube Wahlberg, and Jack Quinn. Mack holds the all-time record for most games managed with 77-55, most games won with 3,731 wins, and most games lost, 3,814 losses. His record of 50 years managing one team and 53 years overall will most likely never be broken, which is just a ridiculous amount of longevity from someone. Absolutely. And the thing that sticks out for me in here beyond all the records and the teams was what he did to win. It was no different then than it is now. And people get so upset when they say a player cheated, but cheating has been in baseball since, uh, since it started. Yeah, and, exactly. uh, <laughs> different forms. Yeah. I mean, he may not have had a trash can, but he was still stealing signs. Um, so we jump ahead to uh, December 22nd, 1944, future Hall of Famer Steve Carlton. He's born in Miami, Florida. Um, rivaling Tom Seaver as the finest pitcher of the 70s, Carlton won the um, NL Cy Young Award in 72 and 77 before capturing another two tro trophies during the uh, early portion of the 80s. One of the greatest left-handed hurlers in the history of the game, Carlton trails only Warren Spahn in victories for a southpaw with 329. He also ranks fourth on the all-time strikeout list with 4,136, and he's the he was the first pitcher to win four Cy Young awards. Uh, lefty, as he as he came to be known, surpassed 20 victories on six separate occasions, winning at least 16 games four other times over an 18-year stretch, beginning in '67. He failed to post at least 13 victories just one time. Uh, during that same period, he also finished with an ERA under three. 
a total of eight times. He struck out more than 200 batters eight times and threw at least 250 innings 13 times. Carlton remains the last nationally pitcher to compile as many as 25 victories in a season, as well as the last pitcher from any team to throw more than 300 innings in a season. Definition of a workhorse. I mean, even with how badly those Phillies teams were, he was always still just rising to the top. Just unbelievable. Yeah, he was amazing. And uh, you know, that year when he went uh, 27 and nine, uh, was it 27 and nine? And uh, he was, he dominated uh, for a team that won 59 games. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like he had like just about half of their wins, just himself. It's like ridiculous. Uh, All right, so uh, we'll move ahead to December 22nd, 1980. The Boston Red Sox mail Fred Lynn and Carlton Fist their new contracts two days after the basic agreement's December 20th deadline. Boston's blunder makes their all-stars eligible for free agency. Fisk will land in Chicago after a legal battle and complete a Hall of Fame career over the next decade plus. Lynn, on the other hand, will end up traded to California with Rick Burleson and play 11 more seasons. However, he'll never have the impact that he did in Boston. This was a dark era in Boston, similar to recent times as they let a Hall of Fame player slip away, as well as trading away the soul of the team. It took several years for them to become competitive again when Roger Clemens would arrive in the summer of 1984. Uh, I see that you made me read this for you uh, for this. So I, I'm, I'm happy to do that service. So you didn't have to actually recount it yourself. It's a, um, some things in life you don't forget. Mm. Uh, and the following year I had an Expos hat um, and I became a huge Andre Dawson fan. And uh, my number has been 10 ever since. And I couldn't watch the Red Sox for at least two years Uh after why, especially especially Freddie Lynn, uh, watching him go is painful as anything um, until Clemens left in '96. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah. Anyways, we're gonna move on to John Rocker <laughs> on December twenty second, nineteen ninety nine, um, and I'm just gonna say that this interview is not PG thirteen. I'm not gonna read everything he said. Uh, be, but uh, it was it's out there in the it's out there on the website if you want to read it. But uh, on December 22nd, 1999, an interview with Sports Illustrated, Atlanta uh, Braves pitcher John Rocker offends virtually every race and ethnic group in a hateful outburst. Community leaders, media, management coaches and teammates alike call, call for action to be taken against the left hander who had 38 saves for the Braves this past season. Uh, the story was published on December 27th, 1999 in Sports Illustrated. Rocker made a number of allegations stemming from his experiences in New York City and answered a question whether he would ever play for the Yankees or the Mets. His immediate comment was he'd retire first. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it was the most hectic and nerve-wracking city. And then he starts talking about trains and, and taking you know, trains with all different types of people and Clearly, Rocker couldn't handle that. He, he spoke about your beloved Mets and their fans. He talked about the fans uh, spitting at you and throwing bottles at you. I've never seen that. I've been to Shea, I was to Shea several times. I'd never seen that, but I don't, it may happen. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So after the interview, the interview was concluded while driving to a speaking engagement in Atlanta. The reporter, uh, Jeff Perlman, wrote that during the interview session, uh, Rocker spat on a Georgia State Route 44 toll machine. 
Annie mocked an Asian woman. Uh, also, Rocco also referred to teammate Randall Simmons. At, I'm not going to say it. Although Rocco later apologized after speaking uh, with Braves legend and Hall of Famer Hank Aaron and the former Atlanta mayor, Congressman Andrew Young, he continued to make controversial remarks for his comments. Um, Commissioner Bud Seeley suspended Rocco without pay for the remainder of spring training in the first 28 games of the 2000 season, uh, which he got reduced to 14 games. Just, uh, <clears throat> I mean, there's really no words. <laughs> for that he was a special a special kind of guy that's that's we'll just leave it at that he could probably run for office now um <laughs> so uh before we get to trivia a quick word about tom's vintage baseball I like to say baseball is the only game where you can watch on the radio uh tom's vintage baseball is <clears throat> all about the voices of the game announces game highlights and interviews um matt what do you who do you think is on uh, connie mack's all-time team connie mack's all-time team Mm-hmm. I mean, probably part of that $100,000 infield, right? Well, the great thing is on uh, Tom Finch's baseball, you can actually listen to him tell that story. So oh. he has a 15-minute uh, interview where he talks about his all-time greatest team. Uh, and then, of course, is Steve Carlton in the 67 World Series. I don't want to give away the trivia answer, but let's just say we have some great games from the 60s and early 70s as well. Uh, There's over 300 games from the 30s and 70s, hundreds of interviews and game highlights. Uh, The cool thing is you can take the recordings anywhere with you on the app. All the regular seasons are free free to listen to, and we have a premium version as well. And there's a rewards program. So hope you go over there, check it out, listen to some old baseball games on TomsVintageBaseball.com. And Matt, how about that trivia? All right, so one of the eight original franchises started in Milwaukee for one season in 1901 and then moved to St. Louis in 1902, becoming the St. Louis Browns. Then it'll take them 42 years to make the World Series in 1944, and it'll take them another 22 years to make the World Series and win it all after 65 years, which was a sweep of the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1966. And on December 22nd, 1953, Jack Dunn III officially turned over the name Orioles to the St. Louis Browns, who were recently acquired in November 1953 by a syndicate of Baltimore business and civic interests led by attorney and civic activist Clarence Miles and Mayor Thomas D'Alessandro Jr. His family had successfully operated the International League Orioles franchise for years in Baltimore, Maryland. The original Orioles and AL charter member franchise eventually moved to New York in 1903 to eventually become the Highlanders, and then who we also know them a little bit better by as the Yankees. The move to Baltimore was ushered in with the arrival of Brooks Robinson in 1955. They experienced their greatest success from 1966 to 1983, when they made six World Series appearances, winning three of them in 66, 70, and 83. This era of the club featured many Hall of Famers who would later be inducted representing the Orioles, such as third baseman Brooke Robinson, outfielder Frank Robinson, starting pitcher Jim Palmer, first baseman Eddie Murray, shortstop Cal Ripken Jr., and manager Earl Weaver. So that's a wrap for today's show. Um, Matt, I hope you had some fun with us on the show today. And uh, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mmusico8. And you can also check out MLB Daily Dingers at www.mlbdailydingers.com. Easy to find me on TomsVintageBaseball.com. Uh, you can join, hit me up for a chat. And just remember in the show notes, you can uh, there's links to Matt's blog, TomsVintageBaseball.com and Matt's Twitter's account. You can. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today for um, Vintage Baseball Rewind. Uh, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, visit TomsVintageBaseball.com for more resources as well as access to episodes. Uh, we've got many episodes of this podcast on there and other um 
stories on baseball history. And we'd love to get your feedback. Reach out to uh, Matt on Twitter or me and Tom's Ventures Baseball.com. And until then, until next time, we're out of here.